0: My fellow Americans, (laughs) welcome. For those of you who are here, person, those who are watching online, I'm so glad that you are here. Uh, I, I know what you're thinking, you know, as we enter into this whole hotly contested subject. You and I know that our country is completely divided by blue and red. We've got states divided by blue and red. They're hotly contested. And I wonder um, how many of you are on the red side and how many of you are on the blue side? Because this is a big deal, especially entering into the season. So uh, I'm gonna bring up, you know, obviously what we're all talking about is uh, NFL football. So come on up. This is our uh, 49ers, you know, uh, is on this side, you know, because that what we're talking about. And then we've got, you know, our blue, you know, Seahawks on this side, right? So, you know, uh, uh, Niners, because again, we're a very divided country, you know, uh, very, very divided country. Uh, Niner fans, you know, are you in the house? Okay. Uh, Seahawks fans, you in the house? Okay, so obviously we are a blue congregation, you know, so let's give it up for these guys. Thanks guys, you know, for being a part of what we're doing, you know, around here. It's fascinating because when it comes to NFL football and this is the NFL opening, you know, weekend, People will cheer, people will be so enthusiastic, they'll talk trash, they'll spend money, you know, on their favorite sports team, and they're at odds with one another. If you're a 49er fan, you're not happy with a Seahawks fan, but what's interesting is in most cases, as soon as the game is over, people get along. As soon as the game is over, it would be silly for those who hold on to it so much that says, "I can't be friends. I cannot connect with anybody who happens to be a 49er fan. I can't connect with anybody who happens to be a Seahawk fan." That that would just be like, "Well, that's silly." And yet, we find ourselves in a divide when it comes to, especially, to politics. Now, I understand. Politics has a greater weight, you know, to it. There's a greater, you know, uh, impact, you know, to us individually and as a nation. But what I want to do is talk for the next four weeks about a subject that people warned me about not talking about, which is politics. A vast majority of our country today are, you know, identifying themselves as Democrats. Uh, Vast majority, uh, the other majority's vote is is primarily Republicans. Then you've got the independents, the libertarians, and the list goes on and on and on. There is so much divide that is going right now, and each political wing seems to have a response that is opposite. And you'll see this driven primarily through politics, through how they are responding to things like COVID-19. Black lives or blue lives matter. The economy, the environment, and the list goes on and on and on. And unfortunately, the divide has turned into hate. Seeing and watching, as you have as much as I have, on social media and hearing what people are saying about other people and watching what people are doing to other people is awful at best and absolutely disgusting. At worst. So today we start this series of the separation of church and hate. Now, when I say that, there are two groups of people that are here on site or that are watching online. There are those of you who are super nervous that we're actually going to be talking about politics in church. That's some of you. The others of you are so fired up that we're going to talk about this finally in church some of you are so excited that you can't wait for me to tell those Democrats what they need to do when it comes to following God and his word. And there are some of you that can't wait until for me to tell Republicans where they have missed out according to God and his word. The question becomes, how are we supposed to respond as followers of Jesus? We spent the last four weeks talking about focusing on the mission, but over and over and over, I got emails or questions like, yeah, yeah, Dan, I need to focus on the mission, but how do I respond to when I object or am so against whatever is happening in our culture? And that's what we want to address. Now, we aren't the first ones to address this. Jesus himself had to address this. In fact, if you've seen a more recent version of the life and testimony of Jesus in the film series called The Chosen, you will see this exemplified. For Matthew is a tax collector, but politically, he is associated with Rome. Then you have the zealots. There is a mention of Simon the zealot, and Judas is a zealot as well, also a follower of Jesus Christ, but they didn't want anything to do with Rome. I mean, nothing that would show any type of friendliness or attitude or behavior towards towards Rome. And Jesus calls both Matthew and Simon and Judas to follow him what would it have been like to have been around a campfire with Jesus? You know, when he wasn't talking about God. I mean, can you imagine some of the conversations that would have actually taken place, you know, in that time, in that time period? I mean, you think about it. Judas was so disgusted by what Jesus was not doing politically. We're how he was not stepping up in the way that a zealot thought that the Messiah should, that he actually sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver, so here's my question for our series. Are you willing to put your faith filter ahead of your political filter? Are you willing to put your faith filter ahead of your political filter? If you're watching online, put it in the chat. Yes, I am willing, or no, I am not. Uh, the famous Billy Graham is a great example of someone who is a pastor and a leader first, for he ministered to both Republican as well as Democratic presidents over the years he is famous for saying these words i'm not for the left wing or the right wing i'm for the whole bird that was his statement see first and foremost billy graham understands that we've got to embrace and understand is that you and i are citizens of heaven and members of god first members of his kingdom first above any political party but is that really true See, Matthew 6, tells us this powerful verse where Jesus says, I want you to seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Seek the kingdom of God above your job, above your church, above your political party. Seek the kingdom of God first and foremost. And then secondly, he says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. So we're not a citizen of the United States of America first. We are a citizen of America, but we are citizens of heaven first. We are part of Christ's kingdom first as well. So I need you to understand, as long as we exist as a church, we're never going to raise the Democrat or Republican flag. You know, we have people, every single election, who send our staff or us the desire for us to put into your hands guides and illustrations and how you should vote and all those kinds of things, and we always politely say as best that we can, because they're not wrong in a lot of things they're presenting, we're sorry, we're emphasizing the kingdom of God first. That's what we want to be about. We're going to be focused on the mission because we know as soon as you associate with a political party, you have now put that ahead of the mission of God. And that's not what we want to be about. Now, should we be involved in the political process? Yes. Should we know what people stand for or when we vote? Should we vote? Yes. But our primary allegiance should never be an R or a D. It should be to a J, and his name is Jesus. Right? That's what we're supposed to be about. So here's my question once again. Are we willing to put our faith filter ahead of our political filter? Now, let me tell you how complicated this becomes. It may be very easy. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I ask that question, and you're like, absolutely. But let me tell you, you know, what you need to understand about each other who are represented in this room or represented online. Republicans are absolutely convinced that Jesus would be a Republican if he was here today because of their values that represent God's values. Conversely, Democrats would say that absolutely Jesus would be a Democrat because of his care and concern for people, especially the marginalized and oppressed, just like Jesus was. In fact, I have heard sermons from godly men from different parts of this country over the last few years making that very case from a biblical, Christ-centered perspective. See, what you need to understand is that most Americans create a version of faith that supports their politics. That's what happens. Because when you interpret the words of Jesus through your political filter, it's amazing how often Jesus agrees with you. It really is. Now, this series is not intended. It really is not intended for you to consider changing political parties or to change your political views. The purpose of this series is to provide a way to respond to those that you very greatly disagree with on a number of different issues. Faith in God's kingdom unites. Political parties, by nature, divide. So as members of God's kingdom, how are we supposed to respond in this culture that seems so divisive and so full of hate? So over the next four weeks, we're going to look at four simple words that God tells us through his word how to respond, and they are civility, dignity, humility, and unity. So we're going to spend the next four weeks diving into that. In fact, next week, we got a guest speaker who's going to be flying in His name is Steve Carter, and he's a great, great speaker. I'm so excited for you to be able to hear him, you know, this coming next weekend. But this first one we want to dive into today is the idea of civility. How do we respond? You see, we have lost, in our culture, the art of civility. Now, civility is to disagree with someone else respectfully. In the past, we used to have respectful disagreements with other people. But now with so much anger and hatred, you notice that instead of criticizing someone's content, it goes right at attacking their character. It doesn't take but a second. Instead of saying, I disagree with you based on these points, it becomes, you're an idiot because you don't agree with me. See, when we criticize content we are arguing ideas. When we immediately move to attack character, we are now judging people, which is not a reflection of God's people, and most of the time, it's not civil. See, to judge someone else in our culture today is leading to a popular phrase, and you're seeing it over and over and over, and it's called the cancel culture. See, once we reach to a point where you are judging someone, not allowing the ideas to be debated or discussed but going right at a judgment of what has been said or the intent of what's being said, we have a desire as a culture now to ostracize, to label, to put off, or to completely cancel that person based primarily because we disagree with what that person says. Guys, this is incredibly dangerous for our culture. Regardless of what side of the aisle you find yourself on, We've got to be open to the ideas to have civil conversations in meaningful ways. You see, James, who happens to be the brother of Jesus, he gives us a picture of how to handle these kinds of situations. When you are in conflict based on an idea that someone else is giving or an argument or having a difficult conversation, our ears have a tendency to stop listening. Our minds start shutting down and our hearts get hard. So James says if we're going to produce righteousness that God desires, we have to change the way we respond, especially in a divided and hateful culture. James says in 119, the secret of civility is, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. You all must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. For those of you who are in the next generation, for those of you who are 13 and middle school and high school, you have not seen what it's like to have civil conversations. And my hope is that through this lesson and this series, you'll actually model something different. So let's start with how we have these civil conversations. The first one, quick to listen. Now, by a show of hands both here and put it on the chat, how many of you would honestly admit that you're actually more quick to speak than listen? Okay? At least we're being honest, that's me as well. Quick to speak. What is true is being quick to listen. It is exactly what we want the other person to do, All right? When I'm speaking, my desire is that you would be quick to listen to what I have to say. And when you're speaking, you're hoping that I'm going to be quick to listen to what you have to say. This is actually what both parties in an argument want the other party most desperately to be able to do. The problem is we're already thinking about what we're going to say or respond. We actually fail to listen. I don't know about you, but I can't watch Fox News, CNN, MSNBC when they bring on a discussion of two different ideas Because I can't even hear what the other person is saying because all they're trying to do is out-talk the other person without giving them even a breath to be able to say. Or if they say something that doesn't quite sound right, they jump in and interrupt. And I'm like, that's not having a civil conversation and there's got to be something different with God's people. See, here's the thing about conflict. We both want this very same thing to happen, that we would listen to one another. So here's the key. When it comes to listening, Can you and I have a heart that says, I'm going to seek to understand more than seeking to be understood? That's going to be my hope. In an argument situation, seek to understand. For example, when is the last time that you sat down and listened to someone who doesn't have the same perspective or experience the world the way that you do? Really, when's the last time you did it? Somebody who was different. Because here's what is true. Think about this for a second. All of us has biases based on our experience and our upbringing. In fact, since the George Floyd death, I have met on most Mondays for an hour with three or four other African-American pastors on a Zoom call from different parts of the West Coast, and my purpose in meeting with them was to say, I have never grown up African-American. I don't know what it's like to be African-American. I have a specific bias and understanding based on my perspective of the world, but I would like to hear yours. The same time I know we had Steve do it with somebody in our church, and I've met with another person in our church, just trying to understand what has it been like to be in your shoes instead of me just making statements about what I believe should or should not happen. I can tell you this: it has been heartbreaking and incredibly enlightening to just be quick to listen. Listen to other people's stories, their experiences what they believe, why they believe it. Now, again, I'm not saying you have to agree with what they believe or align with what they believe. I'm just saying, can we stop long enough to listen to understand? See, when you hear yourself saying, I don't know why they would do that, or if you hear yourself saying, I don't know why they would think that, or I don't know why they would believe that or why they would say that, do you realize that you and I are making a confession by saying that? That there's something that you and I don't understand that maybe it's time to listen to what they might have to say so that you can understand why they would say or do that. Seek to understand more than being understood. And so the first is to be quick to listen. The second that he says is to be slow to speak, slow to speak. That word literally to be slow to speak translated in the Greek means to be late intentionally, to literally be late intentionally. Some of you are really good at that, You know, by the way. When it comes to our words, Can we be late to speak? I can tell you my grandfather, he modeled this for me. He was always the the kind of the reserved person who was just listening, listening, listening. And then when he spoke, even though it wasn't very loud, the room stopped and listened to what he had to say because he had earned the right to heard because he was quick to listen and then he was slow to speak. Me, I think it might have skipped a generation. My tendency is that when I get stressed out, when I get emotional about a specific subject, I want to go into convince mode. I wanna go into, no, my job is to make you understand. More often than not, I may win the argument, but I damage a relationship. And is that what God has called us to be and do? Slow to speak because the minute, honestly, that you and I start speaking, we stop listening, which means we stop learning. Jesus did this all the time. His first response when faced with a confrontation or a conflict or a disagreement, more often than not, if you read the New Testament, is he would always respond with a question. He'd ask a question. So here's a secret when it comes to being slow to speak. When it is time to speak, start with a clarifying question. Start with a question. In fact, in marriage counseling, you know, they'll often teach you to repeat what the other person has to say. Because the number one issue in marriage is not money, it's communication. And the reason it's communication is because both parties at some point have decided not to listen to what the person is saying. And the most simple thing you can do, and that I have learned by hard lessons, I've gotten in trouble more often than not, is by saying, here's what I hear you saying, is that correct? And more often than not, she's like, nope. I'm like, well, let's try it again, because obviously I am not listening well. And before I speak, I want to make sure I understand. In fact, you know, I was counseling someone (laughs) one time who said, I heard you say that these jeans make me look fat. To which he looked at her and says, no, I said you ought to buy a new pair of jeans. It had nothing to do, you know, with your weight. You interpreted, you read into something that was never meant to be there as well, and they were having a fight in the middle of my office, which was always fun. (laughs) Have you ever been on the receiving end when someone doesn't ask a question but just jumps right into speaking? I can can tell you honestly that over the last two years, this has happened more and more and more when it comes to church here. I'll get more emails now saying, Dan, I disagree that you said this. Dan, I don't like that you did this. Dan, I don't think that this is right and very rarely, when somebody's in a disagreement mode, do they come and say, hey, help me understand because I heard you say this, is that correct? That is a person who's seeking to truly understand. Because more often than not, it's like, no, 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 that's, that may have been what I said, but that's not what I meant. Or, no, that's not actually what I said, this is actually what I said, let's actually walk through that. But no, we're so quick to hear and to judge, right, and to condemn and to put people in boxes we don't give them, afforded that opportunity we'd want ourselves. See, the problem with social media, and boy, there's a lot of problems with social media, but one of the problems is with, if you didn't know this, is with algorithms, right? With algorithms, when you click on a news article on Facebook or other social media places, what happens is your feed lets you know that those are more stories in which you want to be involved with, so then it begins to feed you the very same kind of stories that you click so that over time, it, already, it begins to reinforce what you already believe. And all of a sudden, you have a feed that is only one way or another, politically or otherwise, based on the clicks that you've had. This is why it's important to be slow to speak. First Peter 3.15 says, if someone asks you, about the hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this, notice, in a gentle and respectful way. Impossible on social media when it comes to an argument. I mean, think about it for just a second. Has, have you ever seen anybody convince anybody else on social media to change a position or thought or an idea? No, it never happens that way. So keep your conscience clear. Then if people say things against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. So now after after asking questions, you now have a time to respond, right? You've listened, you've asked questions, and now you need to respond. We're not asking followers of Jesus to just sit on the sideline and not do that. And so here's four things that I want to ask you to process as you respond slowly to whatever it is you're about ready to respond. Ready? Here are the four questions you need to answer. Number one, is what I'm saying or going to say true? Is it true? Now, all of you are going to say, well, yes, of course it's true. Now, we all use hyperbole to make a point, all right? The Seahawks are the greatest team that ever lived, right? All Democrats are All police officers are. All protests turn to riots. Republicans don't care about. Ask yourself, is what you're saying true? Or is it an exaggerated version of what you're actually trying to say? Number two, is what I'm going to say helpful? Is it helpful? Just because something is true doesn't mean it's helpful. Gossip might be true. But it doesn't mean it's helpful. What is the purpose? Is the purpose to win the argument? You know, or is it to actually because we care about the other person? The Apostle Paul says, whatever comes out of our mouths should be helpful for building others up. Are we being helpful? Number three, is what I'm about to say personal? Is what I'm going to say personal? In other words, can we discuss ideas without attacking people and their character? You know, that's when, when you're getting to that point of elevation, that's when you meet over coffee, that's when you get together, you know, and I can tell you for me, when someone makes it personal, I don't respond anymore, I just said, hey, let's get together, let's sit down, and if you're willing to have a conversation, because so much is misread or misrepresented when it comes to all of the different ways that we communicate, number four, is what I'm going to say loving, is what I'm going to say loving, is you're going to say, now, again, it doesn't mean you don't say hard things. Because again, God disciplines those he loves. If I care about people, I'm gonna actually say hard things to them, but what is my motivation? Is it for that person? See, to be here to have civil conversations on your part means to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and lastly, slow to anger. What's interesting is that is actually a result of the first two. The longer we listen, the more we will learn and the less angry that we will become. That's just what happens. Now, we all express anger differently, don't we? Some like to blow up, and some like to clam up, all right? For those of you who blow up, you feel so much better afterwards. Nobody else does, but you feel good. Those of you like to clam up, you sulk around until someone asks what's wrong so you can say nothing in order for you to gain control of whatever conversation or situation is, all right? Now, let's be honest. How many of you guys are a little bit more of a blow up? When it comes to really bad things, how many guys are more of a clam up? You know, kind of folks. How many guys are both? Yeah, I guess this is a different situation. Understand this it's okay to be angry. Even Jesus was angry. In fact, we're going to do a three week series leading up to Easter, and here's what it's called What Made Jesus Mad? What made Jesus mad? We're gonna do a three-week series because there are things that made Jesus mad. But in Ephesians chapter four, it says, in your anger, it's not bad to have anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, James is going to give us the reason why. In verse 20, he says, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. See, when it's my flesh and what I desire to be right, and I'm angry, and you're gonna to listen to me, It only produces what I want instead of maybe what God desires. Doesn't mean you give up your political convictions, but there's a big difference between passion and anger, right? So as we close, let me just be very honest with you. Your political candidate is going to win or they're going to lose. However, the church wins or loses based on how we love and treat each other especially those who are not yet connected to him. Even more is at stake. Almost every conversion story, somebody coming to Christ that you see in the Bible started with a civil conversation. When the Apostle Paul, for example, goes to a place in a city called Athens in Greece, he didn't say to them, boy, you guys are a bunch of idiots to have so many false gods What's wrong with you? He says, I can see that you're very religious, that you have an altar to the unknown God, and I want to begin a civil conversation to begin to address this. So here's the goal for this series. Disagree politically, socially, medically, but please, let's be a church that loves unconditionally. Can I challenge you one last thing this week? Look for an opportunity to specifically ask someone who disagrees with you on one of these hot issues and ask them why they think or believe what they believe in a civil way. Practice this and see what happens in your relationship with God and your relationship with him. I've been doing this with a family member of mine who are complete opposite perspectives on most of the things that we're talking about and it has been so enlightening because in the past and this is the way God convicts me in the past i would try to convince them what was right because obviously what i knew was right and what they knew was wrong and god impressed upon me to put this into practice and our relationship is better because of it and we're seeking to find middle ground as we continue to move forward we've got to listen got to love we've got to learn everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become angry quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become angry let's pray father thank you so much for today thank you for the opportunity that we have to just to dive into this difficult and challenging subject I pray, Father, that you would just allow us to use a faith filter and not a political filter when it comes to us discussing these issues. And so, Father, in the next few weeks, give us your wisdom and help us to be civil in the conversations that you're going to want us to have with people, especially who disagree with us, and maybe even more so, those who don't know you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.